Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to Score Values. I'm Sean Anderson, and today I'm joined by Dr. Cheryl Watkins, the new author of Releasing Her, Wrestling Peace from the Jaws of Alzheimer's. How are you, Dr. Watkins? I am great. Thank you for asking. No problem. We're excited to have you on. And uh, November is National Alzheimer's Awareness Month. And you went it through is. you went through a five-year journey of caring for your mother. And that's what the book is about. Um, before we get into that five-year journey um, that the book is about, um, what's your career like? What, what led up to you writing this book and, and before you were met with this battle with your, your mother uh, with Alzheimer's? Well, I, my career is very different than, it has nothing really to do with Alzheimer's. My career, um, I spent 33 years in Chicago public schools as an educator. I retired last year as a network chief of schools, Network 13, which really means um, I supervised principals in 31 schools. There were 11,000 students, 700 teachers, 300 paraprofessionals. Um, it was an absolutely wonderful experience. Uh, that's my my background. I am an educator. Absolutely. And you have two doctorate degrees, from what I understand? I have No, I have one doctorate. Oh, one. Okay. <laughs> I've got Sorry one, but I am in school again, oh. but not to receive a doctorate. But, um, yeah, so I have a doctorate in um, special education, a philosophy, um, doctor of philosophy in special education from the University of Illinois at Chicago. I am now a seminary student at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. I am studying to become a chaplain. So my next degree will be in chaplaincy and ministry care. Well, congratulations. Good luck to you. That sounds uh, really interesting. What brought you to, uh, it w- was this, po- you know, becoming a chaplain, was that connected at all through the journey you went through with your mother? It actually was. Uh, I didn't really connect what chaplains did and how beneficial they are to those families who are experiencing any kind of trauma. And so while uh, we were there with my mom um, at the hospital, at the nursing facility where she was just for a short time, um, there was a chaplain who said, you know, I'd love to just talk to you for a minute if you'd like that. And I said, sure. And so um, knowing that she was available to talk to me, to answer any questions that I had uh, was so beneficial. It was just, it was very beneficial. And so um, walking away from that experience after my mom uh, passed, 
I just kept thinking about chaplains. I didn't know that that's what I was going to do uh, once I retired. I knew I wanted to go to seminary, but I didn't quite connect what I would do with a seminary degree. Um, I just really wanted to know and learn more about the Bible, learn more about God. But uh, it, it became really apparent, especially as I've started writing the book, that that's where my next path was going to be, that that's what, um, what I would pursue. So very um, excited to be at Trinity Evangelical, learning more and exploring everything I can about chaplaincy. That's the voice of Dr. Cheryl Watkins. She just released, releasing her Wrestling Peace from the Jaws of Alzheimer's, a book detailing the five-year journey caring for her mother before she passed away uh, due to the illness. And this month, November, is National Alzheimer's Disease Awareness Month. So you spoke to the chaplain, and, and you said you learned a lot more about this disease. Um, what was your first questions when your mother was diagnosed? I mean, what was, what was going through your head when you, when you heard that your mother was diagnosed with this? Well, first... Um I was devastated. I had three sisters, so my sisters and I really just couldn't believe it. Um, My mother was the pillar of strength, Um, just everything, just everything. Um, And so we just could not believe it. Very bright woman, very, very intelligent, um, a giving woman, always volunteering, going to the nursing home to visit people, um, donating clothes, I mean, you name it, driving to her, the seniors' homes from her church when they couldn't get out, you name it, my mother did it. And so we were all just really shocked and devastated because it really happened um, as, we, as we identified it very quickly. So the first question I had were, what do we do about this? How do we stop it? And unfortunately, we received the news that there was nothing we could do to stop it, but there was medication that could slow the, the development of the disease or her own progression with the disease. And um, that was also devastating because, again, we wanted our mom back, the mom that we talked to multiple times a day, each and every last one of us, the mom who gave me advice about my career, My mother would give me advice about my clothing selection. Don't wear that. That makes you look too old. (laughs) You should wear this color. Stop wearing black. Uh, This was my mother, my shopping buddy. My mom, here's what I'm thinking about doing. You know, what do you think? Um, She was the ultimate cheerleader for all of us, definitely for me, but for all of us. And so we were confused. We didn't know what to do. We, We didn't really know a whole lot about Alzheimer's. It wasn't something that we discussed. Um, and so, yeah, it was it was quite shocking. So the first questions were, what is this and how do we get rid of it? What do we do? How do we help our mom? And um, and, and following, you know, definitely in the beginning, the doctor's orders just right. to a T. Right. Everything. Yeah. And that was probably, I mean, the most difficult thing because it's it's an ongoing journey because, you know, it's it's all about the, the growth of the disease and how fast it's going to take it on. I mean, uh when did you guys start to feel, because uh, you, were you the main caretakers, you and your three sisters? Yes, we were. Um, at any given point, there were two people with my mom at each and every time, at each and every moment. Um, we did receive support through the Department on Aging uh, and hired someone to come in to help us um, to 
can't keep my mom clean. And then we also hired another person um, who became, both of these ladies became just not caregivers. They were actually family members by the time uh, my mom passed so that we had two people with her at, at every step. Um, when she had to spend time in the hospital or in the nursing facility, the rehab, nursing and rehab facility, um, I was the first person she, she saw each and every day. I'd go to the facility, sign in, go to her room, get her cleaned up, comb her hair, and wheel her down for breakfast, sit with her for breakfast, and then I would go to work. I had a friend who was retired, and I said, I'm going to need you to go over and check on my mother. Here's where she is, and he did. So we were all, there was always someone with her. We always um, just were gathered around her, talking to her, watching her, just still engaging with her. But uh, those first few years were, were probably the most challenging because we watched her decline so drastically. Is there bravery involved of being a caretaker? Because I, I think it's such a daunting task, right? I mean, I mean, how do you actually balance being uh, a, a manager of, of principals, like you were saying? Because I'm assuming that was your, your position at the time, um, you know, yes. over, overseeing the 31 principals. Um, how, how did you yes. manage that? I mean, it, it seems like so much on your plate. How, what was that like? There was a lot on my plate. Um, I had a phenomenal team of people who supported me. Um, at that time, when uh, my mom was first diagnosed, I was a deputy chief of schools, and uh, I had 42 schools that I was responsible for supporting alongside the chief of schools. So I went from being a deputy chief with that large number of schools to support, including two for pre-adjudicated youth. It was a tough job. Right. And then moving, getting promoted to chief of schools right after that. But being a caretaker, a caregiver, is an enormous responsibility. My oldest sister took a leave of absence from work. So she took FMLA so that she could be with my mom. She learned right alongside the professional caregiver what to do. We watched the nurses in the hospital. We looked at the people as they were caring for her in the rehab facility. My mom entered the hospital able to stand up. And then after a few days, as we were leaving, uh, she was about to be discharged. They did an assessment. She could no longer stand. So that's why she ended up going to the rehab. So my sisters and I watched them. We watched how they positioned my mom, how they turned her. They turned her every two hours. They cleaned her. We learned what products to purchase. And so we paid very close attention to that. And that's what we did. Um, the, the caregiving part, the caretaker part is so significant. And I do, I write about this. It's important to take care of yourself while you're taking care of your loved one. Mm -hmm. It's actually, it's in the final thoughts chapter of the book. I write that you've got to make sure that you embrace what is often appearing, appear to be selfish. But I say self-care is not selfish. You take care of yourself because if you pour into you, then you'll be able to continue to pour into your loved one. And that's what's so critical. And you've I, got to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And to go off that, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's always difficult, especially with when the patient gets to a certain point, because 
they can't communicate with you any longer. And it's like, you know, if if, if you're sitting there and your mom, you, you've talked about her glowingly. Um, if, if you've been there every day for four years, I think she'd probably be like, yeah, go home for, you know, eight hours. Like the people that you're taking care of, especially with the close relationship that you had, they also want you to take that self-care. But I think it's it's probably such a difficult position to actually be like, no, now's the right time to to step away just just for a second or, you know, for a day. Yeah, we never wanted to leave her. Mm-hmm. We didn't want to leave her side, um, even when we brought her home. So once the rehab didn't work. I watched a session. I said, I can't listen to my mother scream like this anymore. I I let them know I'll be bringing my mom home. Their response to me was, "Uh, you're not going to be able to take care of her the way we are here in the hospital. I said, oh, thank you for your opinion. Through the uh, social worker at one of the hospitals that my mom stayed in, we were able to get everything we needed to make sure she was comfortable at home. And the additional care began. My nephew helped out. One of my nieces did. The other niece was in South Korea teaching English. But we took turns, all of us. And so we stayed by my mom's side. We played her favorite music. Um, I read scripture to her, sang to her. Um, we That's what we did. We committed to the long haul, no matter how long it took, we were going to stay there with our mom. So again, um, two people there at all times, that meant the other two had an opportunity to go home and rest, to get some things taken care of, to handle their own lives. And then we, we just took turns throughout the day. That's what we did. Just a few more moments with Dr. Cheryl Watkins, the author of Releasing Her, Wrestling Peace from the Jaws of Alzheimer's. Um, you mentioned the nonverbal stuff with your mother, and you mentioned that you read scriptures to her and, and played music. Um, did any of yeah. those connect? Um, did you see one working better than the other? Um, did you see you know one more favorable results? I know that music is, is something that does help uh, Alzheimer's uh, uh, patients uh, kind of you know fire some synapses off. Did you notice any difference with your mother? Yes. So uh, when my mother first uh, was was diagnosed, I took over taking her to church every Sunday. So that's what we did. Get her up, took her to church that first year. The second year, each of my sisters took turns. We would go to church with her every every Sunday. Then one day, she just did not wake up for church. She did not wake up to get dressed and so that we could prep her. And she just didn't want to go anymore. Uh, wasn't spoken. It was just she didn't wake up on Sunday to go to church on time. So that's when we started figuring out we probably won't be making it out physically anymore to church and started, you know, really engaging um, scripture reading and music with her. As my mother progressed in the disease, um, with the disease, I started reading scripture and she would either read along with me or move her lips, which let me know that she was still there, that she was understanding what I was reading, and I would read her favorite her favorite scripture, which was the 23rd Psalm. And so when she could no longer do that, I continued to read it. I continued to sing. I continued to talk to her and pray with her, just believing that she knew that I was there. She would wake up every now and then, and she would call for us. One of us individually, she'd say, you know, where's Cheryl? Or is Antoinette here? She would, she would ask those questions and then go right back into a deep rest. 
So I believe it did help. When her best friend visited, her eyes would flutter. She knew that she was there with her. So there were some, again, nonverbal cues that let us know that she was still there. Yeah. And those, those moments are just, I mean, you, you, I, I remember some with my grandma. I mean, they just, they're, they're so stark just when you see them, um, just, just seeing the the person still there, um, and making those connections. It's, yeah. it's truly incredible. Um, especially with, you know, how long they battle through, um, even to the end, my grandma was still, you know, there were still days where she'd, she'd make a uh, little, little, you know, eye, eye flashes, like you were saying, fluttering, uh, with your mom's best friend. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's truly incredible. Um, with with this disease, um, obviously you're going to wonder about yourself down the road, and I think people who you know I'm I'm worrying about it as well. Um, what have you learned um, from from doctors? Is, is this something that you can protect yourself from? Uh, is this genetic? Is this something that you're going to have to be screened for more now that your mother had it? Um, what do you know, at least in regards to that? Yeah, so it's important for me to make sure that people know, even though I am Dr. Watkins, I'm PhD, and definitely not. Um, medical doctor. And so I can speak definitely from my own experiences and the research that I've done. Mm -hmm. So I just spoke with someone about this, about whether or not uh, this Alzheimer's is hereditary. Her comments to me were, yes, there is something that there's a gene that doctors can identify in all patients who have Alzheimer's. But just because you have the gene doesn't mean you'll necessarily become um, uh, a victim of Alzheimer's. You won't necessarily, um, it won't manifest in you. But every patient, she said, who has Alzheimer's has this gene. So you ask the question, am I concerned about me? Am I worried about me? My sisters and I talk about this all the time. We joke and we give each other different puzzles and we watch what we eat. My youngest sister is such a great um, chef. She prepares these delicious meals. Um, we've been looking at Mediterranean diets and just anything that we can so that we can prepare ourselves, better prepare ourselves. Um, no one wants to succumb to this disease. No one. And so if there's something that we can do to prevent it, then that's what we're really focused on. So we're challenging our brains. We're exercising. We're we're just thinking about all those things um, that doctors have identified as ways to stave off this, this horrible, horrible disease. Absolutely. Uh, National Alzheimer's Disease Awareness Month starts today, November 1st, as we're recording this. This will air uh, a little later in the month, around the 8th. Um, but f- on this Awareness Month, uh, final question here, um, what, what do you think is the thing that people should be most aware? Is it, you know, the, the, the care partners that are taking care of the people that are sick? Is it um, ways to prevent yourself, like you're mentioning, regular exercise and brain teasers with your sisters? Um, what, what do you think people should be most aware of when it comes to Alzheimer's? Yeah, so I think it, it's even it, it, it's even outside of the realm of what you should be prepared for for Alzheimer's. It's what you should be prepared for, period. And so I do encourage people in the final thought section of my book, I talk to people about, hey, talk to an attorney. Think about power of attorney. Ask the questions, those critical questions that need to be asked of your loved ones. Because even though this is, Um, National Alzheimer's Awareness Month, which I am so grateful for that. There's still something that needs to happen between a child and their mom, their their aging parents, their grandparents. Have those conversations. I think that's critical. 
Right. Just share as much information as you can. And when we think about Alzheimer's, if there is something that's just slightly off, if you notice that with your loved ones, make sure that you go to the doctor. In the African-American community, um, we are the least um, eager to go to the doctor and to engage in any kind of research. Now, there are lots of reasons that we could talk about, and it's definitely my opinion, but sometimes I think we're just plain old scared, and that, that goes across any culture. We don't want to hear that bad news. It may mean we have to give up our vanilla ice cream treat once a week, but we need to do that. We need to be brave enough to go to the hospital to talk about what's happening with our bodies, to talk about any changes that we recognize, and that we, as the children, oftentimes looking at our parents, we need to be sure that we're paying close attention to them to identify those small, those small little things that actually can morph into something larger. That's Dr. Cheryl Watkins with fantastic advice. I really, I've, I do think that's uh, a great part. Uh, uh, you mentioned, you know, uh, earlier how they don't have uh, medication to stop Alzheimer's yet, but they do have it to slow it. So you're even talking about it there where, you know, if you notice anything off, go right away because you never know what it could be and you never know what you could try to prevent or slow down. And uh, it, it's, it's great advice right there. That's Dr. Cheryl Watkins. Pick up her book, Releasing Her Wrestling Peace from the Jaws of Alzheimer's. Thank you so much, Cheryl Watkins. That was really, uh, really wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 